So I want to start with just a simple question today. And I want you to think about it. Even if you're American, your family's been here for a long time, that's good. But where uh, do you come from? Like, where do you come from? I mean, God created you and then fashioned you to be born into a specific family from a specific country in a specific area in that country. And so I want you to think, where do you come from? Maybe bring it back a little bit. If your family's been in America for a long time, think. Like, what, what are, who are your people? What tribes do you come from? Viking tribes from Norway, Germany, Scotland, uh, maybe um, some Indian tribes in, in, in Mexico or the Caribbean. Maybe um, you have a mix of all that. Maybe African tribes in Africa. I'm talking about our ancestors, like pulling it way back. Just think about it, just for a little bit. Where do you come from? Who are your people? Who have been your people that actually made you who you are now? What is your people group? Now, now think about it right now. Like, what is your people group? We all are a people group. We all come from, Americans are like, you know, they might be like, hey, those people from over there, every country thinks they're like the main country. Although in America, we do have this interesting cultural uh, uh, kind of uh, leadership in a sense that we have been, everybody talks English, English is the business language, we are kind of a numero uno um, in number one across the world for some of these things because of our influence. So that's an interesting thing. We're kind of like the new Roman Empire. But I want you to think of your past, of your people. What nation are you from? And if you're like, duh, I'm from America, well then think about that for a bit. What does that mean? You see, from the beginning of time, God has had a plan, and he had a plan to make different kinds of people, people with different physical characteristics, different skin color, hair color, eyes color, different languages, different cultures, put them in different areas. You see, simply said, a nation is an ethnic group. The original word for nation in the original Greek that the New Testament it was written in is this word ethnos. It's where we get um, our word nations. It's where we obviously get our word ethnicity or ethnic. So this word uh, translated uh, Gentiles, I didn't know this for a long time. I've been to church for a long time. And, uh, the word Gentiles is just the word, same word as nations. So Gentiles is the word ethnos or nations, meaning other nations that were not the nation of Israel. So a nation or Gentiles or ethnos is an ethnic group um, or a people with a similar culture. So uh, cultures, in a sense, can, can help us define or help us qualify a people group or ethnicity or nation. So people will talk about Puerto Ricans, and sometimes Puerto Ricans can be black, they can be white, or they can be like a hybrid like me. And then we, like, people are like, well, what, 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 what are you, white, black? Or I'm like, I'm none of them. I'm Puerto Rican. So you kind of bypass all that, just like an American, right? We got uh, uh, someone who can be like Barack Obama, LeBron James, or George W. Bush. We're all American. So those are some things I think we try to bring skin color and stuff like that into what a people group is, but it's, it's more than that, and there are subcultures, but let's talk about just the word culture, because that plays into how we think of nations. So cult, culture, just the simplest form um, of this definition is what a people is and what a people does. Again, culture is simply what a people is and what a people does. The dictionary defines culture as customs, art, social institutions, achievements of a particular nation or people or other social groups. So the word culture comes from the Latin word cult or cultus, which means to worship um, uh, something. 
um, that, that worship is highly valued. So when we talk about a nation's culture, um, it's coming from the Latin root, and it's not necessarily what the word means, but it helps give insight um, to define what this means, this idea of a cult. And so, again, uh, we can see through a nation's culture what they are and what they do, which points us to what they worship. So, um, and, and if, we're, uh, if we're honest, we, we all, all cultures were created to worship. And so, that's why, again, our English word cult um, for us, means like a crazy religious group, right? In Spanish, when you talk about the worship service, you say el culto. Sounds like the culto, okay? The cult, like the cult. what a weird sounding thing, right? But it's just the worship service. So that's what a cult is doing because they worship this leader or a person. And so again, nations have cultures. In other words, people and nations generally have something that they worship. And so God's word is very clear that we are supposed to worship him. We're supposed to bring that, that, that cult, of that, that idea to him. That's actually a word you can use in English too. It just sounds weird because of uh, the idea of what a cult is, okay? Um, what we think of a cult, like a creepy people group um, worshiping somebody. So God's word is clear that we are to love him and to love people. We looked at that the last few weeks, and then that we are supposed to make disciples. So we're supposed to do the great commandment and the great commission for the glory of God. That's our ultimate mission, to love God, love people, make disciples of all nations for God's glory. Today, we're looking at this of all nations peace or the all nations peace of this mandate from Jesus and, and God in his sovereignty. And, and we have to know that as king, he has literally brought the nations here to us in DFW and specifically in Irving. Just across the street are houses for mainly Hindu people from all, uh, and then you go to South Irving, it's mainly Hispanic. You go um, to, to this Las Colinas part of Irving, and there's every nation, every people group. It's, it's super interesting and fascinating what the Lord has done. And so we will sing this later, but this song, we say, bring your harvest, Lord. What we're saying is, Lord, bring those people one relationship at a time, that we would be ones who would make disciples of all nations. And so last week we learned that, um, that from the Great Commission in Matthew that we are to be true disciples that make disciples. And God's word clearly teaches us how to be a disciple, a learner, right, and how to make disciples. And so we're going to look at that again and help define that. But God's word is clear that we are to make disciples of all nations. And so um, today we're going to look at uh, this idea as we worship and learn um, that the whole Bible, this is our first point, that the whole Bible reveals God's heart for the nations. We're going to see four things under that. The promise of a redeemer who loves all nations, that God is in control. And then we're going to see the promise of a redeemer in the Old Testament and the promise of a redeemer in the New Testament. And we're going to conclude with our final point that the Great Commission shows us that we should and can um, uh, can actually uh, make disciples of all nations. And so let's read Matthew 28, 16 through 20 together. Again, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If you have a device, um, please turn it on, and we're going to look at this text in more detail in a bit. Um, but I want us, again, to think... Um, of this idea of what it means to be ones who truly love, um, love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations for God's glory. And we're going to learn um, today from Matthew 
that God loves the nations and you should too. So just two simple points, that God loves the nations and that you should too. Said, that's kind of the, the main idea, said in a different way. And we'll walk through those points together, uh, together again. And so this is built on this idea of what we're going to look at now, the, the Great Commission. And so the Great Commission, again, is this idea that we are ones who truly make disciples of all nations. But the issue is, as we've been talking the last few weeks, we have to love God. So if you are a true disciple, you will make disciples. And God's Word clearly teaches us, we can have confidence that God's Word teaches us how to be disciples that make disciples. So we're going we're, we're gonna to look at this, and we're going to see in Matthew 28, 16, what it means that God loves the nations and that you should too. Read with me in Matthew 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So we will even sing that later today. And so I want us to think uh, this way. Does this mean that you, as this seems heavy sometimes, like God loves the nations, you should too. I'm supposed to make disciples of all nations. And we get confused and overwhelmed and we just like, I'm just not going to do it. But does, because does this mean that you as an individual are responsible for making a disciple of every nation that ever existed? We'd probably be like, well, duh, that's not what it's saying, right? It's obvious that we cannot do that. But as the church, as the whole, as Redeemer Church, we must have a heartbeat that loves the nations. And that's what it means to really love people because it's easy for us to, to not want to love people. Again, this idea of loving people is connected to the idea of loving God, loving people, making disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus said. Many churches leave this out of their mission because I think they do not know what to do with it. But that's literally what the text says. It, Jesus told the disciples to go make disciples of all nations. Because it's a clearer understanding of what it means to make disciples, and it's a clear understanding of what it means to love people. Because it's easy to love people that are just like you. But that's not what God's called us to do. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, they hated each other, those two people groups, the Jews and the Samaritans. And the Good Samaritan was the one who loved someone that he was not supposed to love. Now, we talked about that. It doesn't mean tolerance or accepting everything, but it's real love that only the Holy Spirit can give you when you're abiding or living in Jesus. So I want us to look at Matthew 28, 16, uh, 16 through 20, and then just re review the point of this passage, which if you miss this, you're not going to get how to love the nations right. You're going to make up your own version of what it means to love the nations. But Jesus is very clear. So let's review this point. I want to give us a biblical look at God's heart for the nations and show us that we can, that we should and can make disciples of all nations because God loves the nations and you should too. If your heartbeat doesn't beat like this, something is wrong. So let's look at our text again. Matthew 28, 16. It said, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus commanded them after he ascended. He said, Go to this mountain. They're probably like, Why? I don't know why. And then they go to this mountain, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Again, we're all supposed to worship. 
right? But some of them doubted. And we know this was Thomas and maybe some others. But the point is that there were those who worshiped and those who doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, because man can be struggling, we can be in this place where we worship and then the next second we can doubt God and be unsure. And the truth of the text is Jesus says, don't worry. He says, it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All the authority to, to make disciples of all nations. You can't do it on your own strength. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, how studied you are, how educated you are, pastor, not a pastor, whatever you are, this idea to really love people deeper, to get in there and, and really know what it means, because I think we can, because Jesus says, he tells us to make disciples of all nations, and he says this, it says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority, don't worry about your doubt or your worship, that doubt is not good, worship me, but he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So then he commands them, saying, under his authority, he says, go. And the literal Greek word here, it, 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 we often think go is the command. So I got to go to this country or go here and do this thing. And that's not what it's saying. It's literally, we're going to sing this as you're going, as you're living your life. As you wake up every day, sounds like the great commandment. From Deuteronomy, remember Deuteronomy 6, as you wake up, love the Lord your God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As you rise up, talk about these things with your family. As you go along your way, it's the same idea. As you go, as you're living your life, here's the command, make disciples. We looked at this last week, that we're supposed to make learners, invest in people, love people. And when we do that, he says, he gives us uh, something more specific of all nations. And then we see that that's how we glorify God, that that is a secular pattern, I think, of loving God, loving people, doing the great commandment, then doing the great commission, making disciples of all nations will actually bring glory to God. It's what it means to abide in Jesus, to understand in your head and then live out, right? So Jesus, how many times is Jesus saying, do, do, do? Why? Because the do saves us? No. But if you really are saved, you will do. That's what the Bible, that's what Jesus is getting at. And that's why this is so important. And we have to know this good news story in, in another way of what I, again, what we say the ultimate mission is if you really know the gospel, if you really know the story of Jesus, then you will live out and understand the gospel. That's what we say the ultimate mission. It starts with the love of God, that he loved us first, and then we can actually do what he's told us to do in loving people, in making disciples of all nations for God's glory. Because, you know, we've said this before, but the hardest thing to do um, after God saves you, even if you have the spirit, is to love people. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because people go people. People act like people, right? You guys know people, right? They do people-y things. And they're very people-ish, right? But we have to know the story, the story of God. That he came and he created everything. God was not confused. He created everything. He made everything good. This is the creation. And in that creation, he would then come and fulfill what, what I like to call new creation or restoration of creation. Because after creation, God made Adam, the first man, good. And he would then, there would be this fall. Why? A lot of times people think, oh, no, God messed up. He, there was a fall. No, because man wanted to know the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, that's too weighty for you. But fine, I'll give you that so you can actually see who I am. So at the garden, 
That's what Adam and Eve fell for. Satan deceived them, just like you and I would have fallen for this knowledge of good and evil. God says that they will be like us once they know this knowledge of good and evil. Because once you know who God is the only one that has power over sin, over the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, evil then came into the world. And we don't have power over it. Because if we did, we could say that we were God, that we were the perfect Adam, or that the word just means man, that we were the perfect man. But no, because of creation, then this fall, we needed this perfect Messiah. And God gave us the Israelites, the story of them, of this small little nation that it says in Deuteronomy 7 would come, and then they'd mess up. They would try to be faithful and mess up, try to be faithful and mess up. And then God said, look, I'm sending you a perfect one. I'm sending you a Messiah. They thought he was coming as Hercules to take over the government and rule the world. And Jesus came humbly. And Jesus came as a baby. He was a perfect three-year-old. He was a perfect 15-year-old. He was a perfect 23-year-old. Man, I can't even imagine. And people witnessed perfection, his family, his brothers, and they couldn't even see it. They couldn't see his perfection. And then this perfect man died. He, he was crucified on a Roman cross. That's what, that's what he tells us to follow. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your instrument of torture and follow me because Jesus was, again, was murdered. And then this king who was perfect, this lamb, who was a sacrifice for all of our sin, he came and then he was, he was resurrected. And the Bible says that because of this resurrection, we have hope, and he's actually coming again. And, and, and we have to know this gospel story because he is coming again. He will set everything right. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more wasted tears and pain. It, your, your tears and pain are not wasted. God will set it right. The day of the Lord is coming, which is scary for those that don't know him. It's judgment. But for us who know him, if you know him, there's hope. And so we know the gospel story, and then we can now look at the text in, in, in detail. And Jesus says, again, in Matthew 28, 16, that, that we were supposed to worship, and that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, this, this beautiful story of the gospel. And he has this authority that's been given to us, and so we're supposed to go or, or as we're going, okay, that's this active verb. It's a, it's a weird word in, in the original, like going, like ing. So as you're going, the point is to make disciples of what? Of all nations. I, I, I do it like this. So as we're going, we're making disciples of all nations, not just of disciples that look like us, disciples of all nations. And that's actually hard. That's a really hard thing to do. But that's what God's called us to do. Because most of America now is cities with a bunch of people and a bunch of nations. God has brought the nations here. Amen to those that go overseas. But did you know that we're supposed to be making disciples of all nations here? Stepping, if you go to um, most churches on Sunday, they all look one way. And that's fine. Some places are more one group and some are more another group. But Irving, Texas is not. It's a melting pot. It's one of the most ethnically diverse cities in the U.S. And guys, I do think, God, it's going to take time. It's going to take 10, 15 years for this church to grow because I think it's a hard thing because it's what Jesus has said and it's what we have this mission field right in front of us to go play and to go do his work, but it's not going to be easy. It can be joyful and awesome and fun, but it's not going to be easy because Jesus said to go as we're going and as we're living our life that we will make disciples of all nations, right? Then he tells us to do what? And the text says, uh, baptizing them. This word in the original language meant to immerse. It was the idea of this 
putting someone in the water, not sprinkling. So it is talking about, in a sense, baptism. But more than that, it's this immersion in that gospel story, that fall creation, uh, uh, redemption, and restoration or new creation of Jesus. We have to know that story. And if we know that story, it animates our soul to be ones who love all nations, who knows that God loves the nations and we should too. And then he says this, baptizing them in whose name? In anybody's name, in any God's name, there are many churches and many people oftentimes doing good work, but there are churches, the Bible talks about wolves and sheep coming to destroy. Satan comes as an angel of light. So there are many churches that are not baptizing people or immersing people in the gospel in Jesus and making disciples. They're not doing this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the actual triune God. They're doing it in the name of other gods or demons. You look at 1 Timothy. It says that people will, in the church will follow doctrines of demons. It's scary. But we can have confidence. We have the authority in Jesus to not be scared of those things, but to live confidently, to know he has told us to make disciples as we're going and that we baptize and then we teach them what? All that he has commanded. It's his great commandment and this great commission. But he's really coming back to the great commandment. That's what we miss. The great, if you want to know how to expound on the great commandment, look at the Ten Commandments. It's an exposition. You're like, yeah, but I'm not supposed to honor the Sabbath. That's for another day. But all those things are actually moral things. We are supposed to honor the Sabbath. doesn't mean that you do it the same way the Jews did necessarily because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But if you want to know the commands of God, the whole Bible, remember what Jesus said, the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Love God, love people. The whole known Bible depends on that. Start there. And the rest will, will start to make sense and you'll grow. And then your heart will grow like a true love for people. And then you'll be like, man, I love people. I don't know what to do about it. I think I'm supposed to make disciples. I'm supposed to do this as I'm going, living my life at work, at home. As I'm uh, teaching my kids or driving my kids to school, I can be making disciples of them. As I'm talking to my old buddy and catching up, I can be making disciples. It's this holistic um, approach to what discipleship is. And I, I'm glad there's a brother in here in the room. He knows his name, but uh, Jordan in the back. He, he really helped at the beginning of my journey in church planting to help me understand this holistic idea of discipleship. It was something I've heard before and something I, I, I wanted to pattern, but Jordan helped. Thank you, brother. He gave me that language to help explain it better, that it's not just like going to a coffee shop and, hey, brother, let's go hang out and, hey, let's do this thing together. Let's do these activities together. And, and this voice comes out somehow. Hey, it's this chippery life of just doing Christian activities. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is in every aspect of your life. When you wake up, the things you watch, the things you see, the words that come out of your mouth, that can be so overwhelming. But remember what Jesus said, authority is mine. He says, the th all authority is mine. So just go. You can actually do this. You can go as you're living your life. You can actually make disciples. What are you doing? You're just teaching people. You're making students you're learning people up, I like to say. You're making a learner. Remember, a disciple is a learner, a follower of Jesus. And you're doing that. You're baptizing them or immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're teaching them to observe. To oh, That word literally means obey, to pay attention, to learn in every aspect of your life, to be obedient in every aspect. And if you do that, he says, he says, do, he says observe all that I have commanded, starting with the great commandment, going to the rest of the Bible. And he says, behold, he's like, don't worry. Pay attention. Look, I'm with you. The end of the age, I am with you, Jesus says. And so we can be comforted 
Again, the Great Commission here in Matthew teaches that we are to be true disciples that make disciples of all nations, and, and it teaches us that God loves the nations, and you should too. If your heart doesn't burn for the nations, something is wrong, okay? So it's clear that our first point is, again, that, um, that the whole Bible reveals God's heart for the nations. So they're gonna take, I'm going to take some time and help us see this, that from Genesis 3.15, we see this promise of a Redeemer, that he was, com- he was coming, and then God sent, again, the flood, and we see this, that God promised this Redeemer. And then we see in God's uh, design that he divided people up by language and ethnic groups or nations because of their sin and trying to, to that they were trying to, to rob his glory. They can't, but, but they tried. And we saw the Tower of Babel that had been built, this city. Again, this Babel is a ba 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 like in, in Hebrew, this ba 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 It's language, this tower of language, right, in a sense, so that they could make a name for themselves. They wanted God's glory, but they could not rob God's glory. And so God divided the nations. Language is powerful. If you don't think culture and language is powerful, God himself said, nope, I'm breaking it up. And this was how, there's other, uh, maybe some science and stuff that goes with this and how the nations spread. We don't have time for that. But we see there was a division of the nations in Genesis 11. It allowed the nations to separate. Genesis 11:9 9 says, therefore, its name was Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them, the nations, over the face of all the earth. Then in the next chapter, Genesis 12, we see God called this weak and imperfect man named Abram who would then become Abraham to be the father of the Jewish or Hebrew people and the people that Jesus would come from. So this promise uh, to build this great nation comes from Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And Abraham's name means, um, it has this connotation in Hebrew that's the father of many nations or ethnicities. So listen to Genesis 12, 1 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You hear that? From one great nation. It says in verse 3, this is the one where we see the gospel, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families, you hear that? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, all the nations. You see, Abraham and Sarah were promised a son, but they were in their 90s, and they didn't think God could give them a son. But he gave them Isaac, who became the father of Jacob, um, who was renamed Israel. He had 12 sons, and these would be the 12 tribes of Israel. If you ever heard that, it's the 12 tribes, where it comes from. Again, we see the promise of a redeemer who loves all nations. And you see... Um, there is a promise, again, for all nations to be blessed through Abraham, who would be renamed, again, Abraham, or the father of multitudes, meaning many nations. Genesis 17, 5 says, no longer shall your name, this is five chapters later, shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of Abrahams, <laughs> of, of a multitude of nations. So we see this, the, the, the nation of Israel gets established. The 12 tribes are told to obey the law. The law was given to Moses as he revealed his name at the burning bush saying, I am. Same thing Jesus says in John. We were studying John a while back. So the, the, the Israelites lost power and they became weak and they were conquered by, uh, conquered becoming slaves in Egypt. 
They were then set free. They, they crossed the Red Sea, it's very important land even today. And then later, they became these wandering nomads in search of the promised land under, under Moses' leadership in the Exodus. And then Moses transfers this leadership to Joshua, meaning the Savior or the Deliverer, who is an, an, an image or a type of Jesus, a figure who then establishes Israel as a nation, who then is in the cycle of sin, obeying and disobeying God. And, and it says in Judges what they thought, they did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Sounds like America. But we still see this promise of a redeemer who loves the nations. Israel, this weak nation, wants to be just like the other nations. They want a king. And so a guy named Saul becomes king. And Saul was who the people wanted, but ultimately he failed as a king. He was handsome and tall and had all the things. And then God raises up this weak little, un, they didn't even know he was there. When they looked at the other brothers before they looked at David and King David, this little harp playing, um, uh, maybe harps like this, a harp playing guy who sang songs and was a shepherd. I, I kind of see him as like, you know, just kind of out in the field. Um, and then God called him to be the one who would bring um, and lead a unified Israel that would become, uh, again, a picture of this strong established kingdom that Jesus would come to bring. J David was a type or an image of the Messiah, uh, an image of, of Jesus who would come. We know David made his mistakes, but the, all the men in the Bible, they're pointing to this Messiah. And then so we see that this promise given to Abraham was, was that, that this true Messiah, the Christ, or the anointed king, he would be this redeemer of the world, Jesus, who would come to save all the nations one day. And then Israel just continues to decline as a nation. There were good kings and bad kings and some that would get conquered, and the nation got split up in two, known as Israel in the north is very important in like the books of Kings and Chronicles. And then um, we see uh, Judah in the south, which is just two tribes, ten tribes in the north, two in the south. And then God's people were divided and conquered by other nations. We see um, Israel in the north by, by the Syrians in 722. Then we see the Babylonians conquer the south, Judah in 586. There's all the stuff of Jeremiah, all these hard times when they're being kind of overtaken. And then the Persians... Um, which are connected to even the modern-day Iranians under Cyrus the Great. They uh, conquered Babylon in 539. And then Cyrus, this king, who was not, a, not necessarily a God follower, but God used him and allowed the Jews to go back home, and they built the second temple. And this is the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so the Israel, the nation... Uh, of the Messiah, they were now in the, in the, in the land um, as, again, an occupied nation, but they, they didn't have this, they were in the land, but they didn't have true autonomy and freedom. They became, again, weak people who were always conquered by other stronger nations. But the promise of the Redeemer, it seemed impossible, but God was in control. And then around 300, you guys have probably heard of the Greeks, right? Alexander the Great came. He conquered Israel. He passed on the Greek language. That's what the New Testament was written in. And then the, it set up the world. It set up all of us, the nations, to receive the gospel. And as the Greek kingdoms divided and then came one of the strongest nations of all time, a lot of us maybe have our names from this nation, I do, the Roman Empire, the Latins, the Romans, um, they conquered Israel and these Romans would build roads and pass on this new language called Latin to the world that influenced so many nations, Spanish, Italian, all the Portuguese, all these languages, even English. A lot of our words are Latin based. A lot of times like we have an English word and a... Uh, uh, Latin word, like faith or belief, same word in the Bible. There's not two. Well, faith is the fiel, Latin root, and belief is the uh, Germanic one. So this Greco-Roman world sets up Jesus' coming. 
And the way the gospel would spread so fast because of the roads and the highway system and the infrastructure. And so we see, again, the, the, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant leaves us with this longing for a new covenant, which was summarized in Jeremiah 31 through 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. This is the Old Testament. Okay, I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity or sin and I will remember their sin no more. So we see this promise of a redeemer in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see again that Jesus was born. He, he died, he resurrected, he ascended, and he came first to save the Jews, who were then through his initial apostles that we see in the Great Commission and disciples, and then Paul, take the gospel to the known world and the nations at that time. And then as they made disciples of all nations, Jesus established his church through his people who would plant other local churches that are still making disciples of all nations today. And so I hope you see the plan of God and the hope of Jesus, the promised redeemer who loves all nations. God had a plan for us to make disciples of all nations. He had a plan for us to be true disciples that make disciples of all nations. You see, because God loves the nations and you should too. It should do something in your soul. But God will judge the nations. He will bring judgment, not you, not me, okay? There's a problem we have as Christians. We're like, we want to judge everybody. We can judge. We have to judge righteously, okay? Take the speck out of your eye. But God will ultimately judge the nations for the evil and the things that they do. That's not on us. We're not to condemn the nations. We can make judgments, Christian judgments. But we're not to condemn the nations. God's judgment is coming. Listen to some of the words in Matthew 25 concerning all the nations. Okay, we love the nations, but we got to keep it real with the nations because God's judgment is a coming. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And later Jesus says, and these and these goats, talking about, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, Jesus says these goats or non-believers will be judged in eternal punishment from all nations because God is a judge. But you see, it, it also talks of these righteous ones who will go into eternal life. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that we get, that you know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just going to heaven, but it's knowing or loving God. And that if you know or love God, you will actually be a true disciple that makes disciples of all nations. And because you love God, you will love the nations too. Listen to the hope that we have as true lovers of God or, or as true disciple makers that make disciples of all nations. There will be this day when all nations will be with Jesus who is the eternal life. Jesus, who is our goal in life. Remember, our ultimate mission is first to love God, then to love people, and then to make disciples of all, nation and, and all nations. And guys, that's how we glorify God. 
I say this is how you abide in Jesus. You're like, abide is this word in the Bible that we, we live in God and God lives in us. And what does it really mean? Man, if it starts with the love of God, that you have the love of God in you. And if you do, then you'll love people. Because the Bible, all, all over, John says, do you love me? Do you love your brother? John also says in 1 John 3, do you have belief? And then do you love one another? Jesus says the same thing. Love me and love your neighbor. The Old Testament says the same thing. It's all the same thing. Paul echoes the same thing. That's how you abide, by really falling on your face and saying, God, I want to love you. Teach me how to love people. Teach me how to make disciples. Teach me how to make disciples of all kinds of people, all nations. And when you do that, you're going to glorify God with your life. You will. That's the hope. Look at this picture in Revelation as a scene of Israel joined with all nations to worship God. So now the weak nation of Israel becomes the true Israel as the Jews who, um, who believe in Jesus become one of the many nations that Jesus saves as Messiah. Listen to this word from Revelation 7, 9. It says, uh, um, after this, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one, uh, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and, and lands just standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, all the nations saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All nations are going to cry. Man, I can't wait to be there. Makes me want to cry. That, that this text is clear, guys, that all nations are there at the end times. And we see God promise long ago to Abraham through the nation of Israel, that many nations are going to serve him and worship him. So God obviously loves the nations. And God is in the service of redeeming all of them so that they will love him. And so we've seen that our job is to be true disciples that make disciples of all nations, as we learned the last few weeks, that if we do that, man, that our hearts should beat with the love of the nations because God loves the nations. And again, you should too. I want that to, you to leave thinking about that. And we can clearly see our first point that the whole Bible reveals God's heart for the nations. And now we can see our final point. I know we're running out of time, but I'll, I'll wrap it up here. That the Great Commission shows us what we should do and can do to make disciples of all nations. It's not something, just take this Great Commission, study this Great Commission. It's why we, we're going to sing a song so the words can stick in your head and then hopefully in your heart. And then you have now this word of God living in you to help you do this. Remember, God loves the nations and you should too. And so I just want to give us a few ways that we can live out the Great Commission, okay? And we're going to end. Remember, being a disciple, we talked about this the last few weeks, is living life with people and teaching and learning about how to love God and people. And this is how we make disciples of all nations for God's glory. When, if we're really loving God and really loving people, we're going to make disciples of all nations. Again, does that mean that you're going to make a, a disciple of every nation? And no. How, how does discipleship start? It starts with you not having any fear, right? And giving it to God and, and one relationship at a time. You don't have to try. Don't just connect with people that look like you, smell like you, talk like you, act like you. Say, God, I, I want to know how to do this, and I don't know how to do it. And he will, uh, I, I know, he said he's with us, he will bless us, he will show us. So the first thing to do is to pray to God. Just pray to him for you to make 
disciples and to learn from other uh, disciples of all, uh, to, to, to learn from other disciples from different nations. That's how you can start. Just, and guys, again, a lot of times we're, we're, we, we overthink this. Who are the people in your life? Who do you know? Who is around you? When you go to the grocery store, when you go to, to the McDonald's or where you go to, if you're healthy, you go to the Whole Foods. I don't know. Whatever things you're doing, there are people that God has placed in your life that he is saying, hey, start making a disciple of this person. And a lot of times we think it means to make a convert. It's not what Jesus said. He didn't say go convert people of all nations. No, that's what he does. He converts people, okay? We make disciples. We make learners. So this Again, we talked about this more last week, and this can um, be something that, that, that really confuses people. Let me give you a few things that help you. So just really pray to God. Say, God, help me. I need to know how to do this. And then uh, just like you would talk to God, talk to people. You can't be scared. If you say, I'm shy, God made me shy. Pray, Lord, don't make me shy. Lord, may give me courage, give me boldness to reach out, to connect with people, to get people's phone numbers. Hey, let's grab a meal. You will be rejected. You will be rejected. That's part of the deal. But talk to, just like we had talked to God in a real and respectful way, talk to people in a real and respectful way. Try people from different ethnic group or nationality. I don't care what people say. This is not a, a racist question. Where are you from? Ask them. People that are from another place want to tell you where they are from because remember how we started? You are from a place and they are from a place. Oftentimes I ask American people, hey, where are you from? I'm like, huh? What? Boston? What? They, they, they don't, we, Americans, we don't think that way because we're top of the cultural food chain, okay? We are from a place. We are from a city. We are from a culture. We do weird things. People think we're weird. When we go to Europe and we're in the subway, we're like, cool, man, that was awesome. Did you go? Blah, blah, blah. They were so loud. And the Germans are like, stop talking so much. Quiet down. Because they go to the subway and they relax and they prepare for work and they sleep or they read. You are more American than you think you are, okay? You like your Dallas Cowboys or your chicken fried steak or your sweet tea. That's fine. It's weird to some people. Like British, you drink cold tea with sugar. Now, you know, it's weird. We, we are weird to people too, okay? So just relax. Enjoy it. Talk to people. Listen to people in a real and respectful way. How are you going to learn from another people if you don't ask them questions? Just ask them questions through the power of the Spirit. Don't be scared. I encourage you to come to our disciple groups. That's why we call them not discipleship groups. Remember we talked about that? Um, disciple groups. Come you know how you make disciples of the church members, not just random people. Jesus said, we'll talk about this next week. We'll love, the world will know how we love him by how we love one another as the church. So if you're not making disciples of each other, then there's a problem. Again, we talked about that last week. Usually discipleship relationships, usually there's a more mature person and a, and a more immature person. But oftentimes those relationships People are coming at life, living life together, walking together. That's how we sharpen iron, sharpens iron. So come to our disciple groups. Come to our rhythms. Come on Sunday morning. Come to our disciple groups. Come to our gospel parties. Come to our prayer in the city. We, the last gospel party we threw, we had 120 people that were not Christian, most of them, in our house. And we need you guys to make disciples of them. We can't do it all. We've done the work and, and ministered our neighborhood, and God is saying, calling us as a church to rise up and to make disciples of those people. Bring them to your house. Get a phone number. It's that easy. Say, hey, let's go have lunch. If they think you're weird, they think you're weird. Who cares? Their life is at stake. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's time to play. So 
Be part of our church rhythms. You can learn and grow and pray and engage and meet people to be, uh, to be a disciple maker of all nations. You have to be part of the church. That's the point. You can't make it really, there's no discipleship separate from the church. It, it starts with the function of a local church. That's why this has historically been so important. You have to be part of the church. And if not, um, um, if you're not part of our church, I encourage you to be a part of a God-fearing church somewhere, but we want you to be a part of the church here. And it takes time, again, by investing in people. So spend time with them. This will lead us to making disciples. Make a friend. Get phone numbers. Get information. Now, go have those meals and coffees and talk about Scripture and talk about whatever. No, go, go to kids' sports. You can make disciples and all those things. That, that's the freedom is to go live and to go play. Community, fellowship, koinonia, the Bible says, that same word. That, that, that's how we make disciples. That's how we make learners. That's how we love people. Again, we're called to make disciples, not converts. So relax. You don't have to change anybody's mind. God will change your mind. But what Paul says that we persuade people. You need to be a persuader of the gospel. You need to have the gospel on your lips that you really know it. You know the story of God. You're about it. You are part of a local body. You are living out this command to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations. And then again, I'll end on this, that, man, we have to have courage. Remember the Good Samaritan? He had courage. Jesus had courage. Paul had courage. A lot of Christians before us have had courage. They took a risk. They were sometimes thrown in jail, sometimes called this, called that, made fun of. People are going to think you're weird. The world will hate you. It says go live a good and godly life, and people will see that. But generally, the world is going to think you're weird, and they're going to hate you. Sorry. It's part of it. But that's why Jesus says, behold, I am with you. So we must have courage. We must do this great, what the Great Commission says, in baptizing or immersing and teaching them to observe or obey all that Jesus has commanded and, and, and the foundation of the main commandment to make disciples of all nations. Again, we must love people, y'all. We must love people with our lives and with our hearts because uh, we, we truly love God. And remember, being a disciple is living life with people and teaching and learning about how to love God and people. To be a true disciple that makes disciples of all nations. Knowing that if God loves the nations, that you should too. There's a lot here. Let's pray and let's ask God to do this initial work of stirring our hearts to love the nations like he does. Your Lord, you are holy. Lord, you are wonderful. Lord, I hope in, in an imperfect way, Lord, but we're able through your Holy Spirit to come look at um, a little bit of the story of Scripture and to see your heart for the nations. And that, Lord, I just pray for all of us now that our hearts would echo that. Maybe we're like, I, I still don't know what it means to make disciples. I'm still... Um, unsure. Maybe someone here is not even saved and doesn't know what it means to be your child. Lord, we trust that you are working in us right now. So let us respond in this worship as we started, Lord. You've called us as the nations to worship you, and so we want to do that now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we want to respond in worship now. Amen. Thank you.